0: Good morning. I am back. I am back like the opposite of front. For this, the second, I guess, this is the second audio version of the Bare Bones podcast. Um, We've done a couple video ones before this, but maybe I'll just uh, start from two. Because it makes more sense chronologically that way. Um, And I'm back. I'm back uh not a lot going on over the weekend in the muay thai and mma world uh locally domestically but we had a, had a bit of a uh boxing match happen in melbourne which was historical and ginormous and i didn't go um i was supposed to go i had tickets to the haney cambosis fight it was at marvel stadium so Few bums on seats at Marvel Stadium. Apparently, the whole city was going off. Not a uh, not a bed for rent, and um, I didn't go. I had tickets. My knees giving me a little bit of grief. You see, My knees giving me a little bit of grief. My wife had was also away all last week, so it's good to spend some time with her. And um, I said it about five o'clock on the on the Saturday because the the fights were out. I think the the prelim started at 10. It's so bit bloody early for me on a Sunday, I'll be honest. Um, and I said at about 6 o'clock the day before, I said I'm oh, probably about 70, 30 as to whether I skedaddle up to Melbourne. And at about 9 o'clock I said oh, i probably 60, And then, you know, by 3 o'clock in the morning I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to Melbourne. Um, so I forwent my ticket, foregoed my ticket. I forwent it. I'm not sure if that's correct, but I did not go. Instead, I elected it to what elected to watch it at home, and I bloody enjoyed myself. I sat at home with my wife, and Jonathan Ho came along. Jonathan Ho turned up. Um, he did some cooking in our kitchen. Uh, did some cooked us dinner. It was bloody delicious. I don't know what it was um like not in terms of like an unidentified form of marsupial it was um i think it was a domesticated species that we're fairly comfortable with eating um you know that's i'm not casting any kind of dispersions or stereotypes here i just wanted to clarify the fact that i i actually can't remember what it was but it was delicious and we had um Hannah Lecter and Donna Lindsay over also, and a lovely dinner, and um, and they just all sat around the table and made jokes about me at my expense in my own home. <sighs> but you know what are friends for? So that was nice. What are we talking about? The boxing. So what's watched, watched the boxing. You know, boxing's pretty cool. Bo- bo- boxing's pretty cool, but when you get a really good boxing fight or you get like a really good story, backstory and then, you know, boxing, it, it, it's, it's easy to get caught up in it. And it's got so much history with us as human beings. And, you know, Australia has a has a rich boxing history. And I think the Cambosa's Haney fight being for an undisputed title, which doesn't happen very often. This doesn't happen when someone comes and they put all their belts on the line Fight the best of the best. That doesn't happen, and that kind of slips into boxing history. And Australian boxing history has a very rich history. So I'm interested in history, and you know I'm very much aware that you know Saturday nights for me are changing now, and you know I'm not, I'm not, you know going out to five in the morning dancing on top of boxes, throwing up shapes, and losing my shirt. Sometimes I just want to chill out, you know, Wikipedia some stuff. And, um, you know, some of those things have, some of those times spent on my butt have brought me some, you know, really interesting little insights into, you know, the people that went before, the people that went before us. And, um, you know, one that really stands out, I guess, is this guy, Young Griffo, Sure. If you haven't if you haven't heard the name Young Griffo, which for a start is a ripper name, is it? And this, bear in mind this guy was like getting around doing. It. I think he was born in 1869 in country, New South Wales, but you know Young Griffo could be a modern rap name, you know Mumble Rap. But no, this guy was getting around back in the day, back way in the day, and Young Griffo, despite having that pretty cool mantle, was also. Later on in his career, they called him Willow the Wisp. Willow the Wisp, and if you haven't heard that synonym, synonym, should I know, probably should look this up. I think a Willow the Wisp is like a light that appears. It's a light that appears, in like it's in folklore, but it's a light that appears, in you know, swamps and marshes, and leaves kind of people leads people astray. But it's also Uh, you know like a phantom so it's kind of something that you can't quite grab you can never get hold of it um, i'm not sure if this is the right context but i think it also kind of means you know a hope or a goal or a uh, aspiration that you never quite reach because it's unattainable i think that's true it might absolutely be that might be bullshit but you know go and look it up and if it's true and you can thank me later but it's a the willow, the wisp was a befitting uh, play name for or play they call it play name in Thailand instead of fight name play name, which is pretty cool. Well, it's a befitting one of Young Griffo because what they, what they reckon is that this guy may have been the best defensive boxer ever, of all time. You know, he was a, he was an interesting character. Was Young Griffo? He was a drunk, and he was a hopeless drunk. And apparently, you just could not get him, you could not get this guy to train. He would never train. Yet, through potential, like just his instincts and his innate senses, his innate talents, was just incredible at uh, being a defensive boxer. In fact, they, there's stories um, of him going into bars, and um, which is where he spent most of his time, and you know, pulling out a, a handkerchief, his handkerchief, which in those days, uh, and. For you young folk, a handkerchief for something that used to blow your nose. Oh, I used to have a handkerchief. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty gross now when you think about. It. You used to carry a handkerchief around in my pocket, not because I was in the Bloods or the Crips. Um, I was too Caucasian for those, but um, you know, I, I a handkerchief in my pocket, would blow my nose. You put a snotty, snotty hanky back in your pocket. These days, you know, people just use tissue's or my personal favorite the bushman's hanky just when you put one finger over your nose and you just blow and wherever it ends up it ends up don't do that in the gym don't do that in the gym we are a covid safe workplace so he put put his handkerchief down on the ground and he'd stand on it and it's a square and he go, if any of you can hit me oh, oh, oh i don't know but he put it down it was his party trick and he'd bet people they couldn't hit him for a beer He'd make his money that way, which is pretty um, pretty impressive. Another little party trick he had was he'd use a mirror, which would obviously reverse his movements, and it'd be very tricky to do cognitively, and he'd slip punches while just looking in the mirror. So this guy obviously had incredible amount of talent, but by all accounts, you know, he was frumpy and he was a bit fat and he was, you know, had had the build of more of, you know, like a slugger than he did, you know, top kind of defensive stylist, but that's what he was, one of the best ever. In fact, I can't remember the years exactly. I'm pretty sure it was 1887 to 1894. So about, you know, no one can do that kind of maths, but, you know, pretty good span. He had 170 fights where he was unbeaten, and that was on Bleacher Report, so that's historically collected evidence and you know, in, in it was it was not uncommon for him to you know fight thirty times in a year. And we're not talking you know padded, you know fully padded um, events that you see these days, where the commission checks your wraps. Often, often these back in the day when a lot of these fights were bare knuckle. You know, they went for twenty rounds. imagine boxing someone for twenty rounds with just a little bit of leather over your knuckle. And so to be a incredibly defensive boxer and to slip and and to, uh, you know, frame off and to trap, that would have been a really good talent to have. You didn't get your brains bashed in. And the longevity of this guy's career mixed with his drinking is bloody impressive. Um, yeah, you know, and, and he kept going. He, he, he he's grew, grew up in New South Wales and most of his early career here and you know if any of you are into boxing history look up the old tin shed look up the old tin shed and the history of that place and the role that it plays in australian boxing history up in new south wales pretty cool stuff then went over to america and you know he fought you know fought for a world title and won it um oh man what's the guy's name they used to have the best names back in those days it was Billy Murphy something Torpedo Billy Murphy is what it was they just used to have the best names Young Griffo versus Torpedo Billy Murphy for the world title uh, pretty impressive and you know apparently his drinking used to get worse he ended up being destitute so he ended up living on the streets and um, you know near, near the end of his career and relying on charity and it was uh, ended up um. Standing outside, so, uh, every day he'd be outside this kind of famous um, club in the Bronx, and he'd sit there reading a newspaper. And by all accounts, he was actually illiterate, and um, just I don't know, maybe a peer learned or something. But um, he came home with the newspaper one day to a house that was being afforded to him through charity, and had a brain aneurysm, which is you know maybe testament to the fact that the bloke had you know probably over three hundred boxing fights, and it's not good for the old scon. Especially when you're going into your fights drunk or hungover, and not giving yourself a chance to recover from, um, you know, concussions and whatnot. And it's not surprising he died from an aneurysm. Bless him, but he is one of the most important guys in Australian boxing history. He did a lot for the sport, but you know, you can't help think, but what you know, with a guy like that, if he had actually taken himself. Seriously, and like they said, he'd could—he just never train. You know, it's like, what could have he been if he had have taken himself seriously and invested time into his training and eaten healthy and had a proper management system? You know, could he be the greatest ever? It's certainly the way that writers of the time talk about him, that, that appears quite possible. You know, and like back in these days, they hadn't quite yet. I don't think they had adopted the London rules, so a lot of these fights were um, a lot of these fights were judged by what they call a newspaper decision, which is really cool. So, you know, there was no judges. So if both guys were standing at the end of the twenty rounds or whatever it was, thirty rounds. Then the sports writers who were there to cover it, they would get together, decide the winner. And then write about it in their columns and their articles to declare the winner. And I think they had like a a no decision as well, or a no winner. And it's different than a no contest. And that actually would go on the guy's record. Yeah, really interesting stuff. But that, yeah, I don't know. That idea of what could have been is an interesting one to me. You know, it bothers me when people have potential and they don't actualize it or they don't kind of find where the ceiling is. I think we're all kind of guilty of that at some stage because. To do that's to take a risk, right? Like to to put everything on the line to find out, you know, what you know, what are we made of, like how far can we take this? And uh yesterday with Cambosis, Cambosis was kind of doing just that. So like in in the um in oh, Lani's just about to bring me in a, a coffee, so I'll just uh pause. Hello. It's just hot chocolate thanks thanks babe so with um with cambosis that's something uh that i admire about that guy yesterday is he didn't have to have that fight you know he he could have taken a couple after uh, often after a um you know wheel title win you accumulate all the bounce you bounce you get a couple of gimmies. you know they're in a couple of guys that are ranked but you know they're probably a little bit easier beats, but um, what I like about Cambosis is he doesn't probably doesn't seem like the guy who wants to wonder what could have been. He like wanted to put it all on the line to realize where the ceiling is, and that's um, something to be admired and something to be looked up to. I find. But there's also and there's also some parallels with the fights yesterday as uh, in terms of you know a, a class of. Defensive boxing that, while well, it might not be the, the most, um, you know, pretty or entertaining. It's still, um, as a purist or as you know, someone who appreciates fight science, it's really uh, admirable to to see, at, at like the highest level. And that was Devin Haney's boxing. And like it, it is, it is. You know, he his volume, is pretty good, but. He's just an expert at minimizing risk. He is, and that kind of, you know, minimizing risk, to do that consistently and stay focused and do it for over a long period of time. Is to be a really good decision maker. You know, we see in like the top levels of sport. We see we see this in the top levels of most sports, you know, NH, you know, NFL, NBA. And certainly at the highest levels of boxing, like Floyd Mayweather, another great defensive boxer, although different than Haney in a lot of respects, but they they consistently don't go for the like the ESPN highlight of the week play. They're not going for the going for the knockout, or you know they're not they're not like being super showy. They're just consistently at every point in turn taking the highest probability route to be successful in that moment. For instance, Haney recognising that his best path to victory was through his incredibly fast jab and his ability to mix up his timing and to neutralize the space between him and Cambosis whenever Cambosis wanted to get his hands going. So he would jab and he would jab and Cambosis would push the uh, try and push Haney back to the ropes, and when he did, Haney would just step straight into the pocket and give him no room, no room to work. Occupy either the inside position between his arms and frame on them and be heavy on them and wear him down, the heavier punching Greek-Australian. Or he'd expose his back. He'd pummel an underhook, much like you would in Muay Thai or MMA, and he'd step outside Kambosis' leg, and he'd keep his hips tight and expose the back. And that was impressive. And he did that consistently, time and time again. I think that, you know, another thing that I really was impressed with about Haney, and there was a real um, contrast with Cambosis, was his ability to move his feet. Haney's balance in that fight was incredible. I, I, I didn't see Haney off balance in that fight at all. He always has a base. So at, for, at any point in turn, if he's being offensive or defensive, he always had a base ben, beneath him. And his head was never outside of that at any stage. Uh, and he was able to do that right up until the last moment of the fight, which is testament to the amount of you know, drilling, uh, the amount of agility footwork that he must perform, or has performed over time. Um and that that's important against a power puncher because the thing with power punches in an, an arena as big as that where the the crowd is so one sided towards the defending champion and the and the hometown boy is that even a big a, a big puncher that caps you that hits your guard where well, you your feet are together, uh, you know, where well, you you've got no base or so your base is compromised will knock you off balance and You know, in those moments, you know, a judge might have his back to you. You might have your judge back to the judge, and it might be perceived as a big strike. But Haney, you know, even when he was taking big punches on his guard, he was maintaining his base and his balance, and that was really impressive. And the the opposite corner, Cambosis, there's many, many times he's got got a habit where he he brings his his weights, uh, when his weight's predominantly on his rear leg. He steps his lead leg back to his rear leg, bringing them almost together, and then steps it back forward. And, um, you know, people, uh, a guy called Gary, uh, what's his name? No, Barry Robinson, Guru Boxing. He calls it the rhythm step. Other people have different names for a pendulum step, things like this. But Haney, if you watch it back, he got the timing of that step. So when Kambosis would step to his rear leg and step back forward, He's got no other place to be in time and space than back where that foot's going to land just because of physics. You know, physics, goddammit. And Haney would just time him with the jab and then move back. So that old adage of either all the way out or all the way in, Haney was always right on the end of his range or then he would close it up. It super impressive. There's another, uh, yeah, what else was there to talk about from that fight? Oh, how's, how many people in the ring at the end? Oh, shit. I don't think I've ever seen that many people in a boxing ring, ever. Like It's like, who are those people and who is in charge here? It was like, it was absolute mayhem. It was like a, you know, post office in New Delhi. Once we were we were in, me and Lani were in India and I had to deliver a... Um, a send something home, we're in India. Yeah, we're in New Delhi. And I went to the post office, you know, kind of expecting to line up or orderly, and I was like, yeah, prepared to do my thing. And after about 10 minutes, there was about 500 people in there, I realised what the system was. And the system was like, it's kind of like the law of the Sahara. It was just the, 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 you know, the king of the jungle. And when I realised that, I was sweet, so I just started grabbing people by the throat and... You know, grabbing them their shirts and like throwing them out of the way and grabbing fish hooking people around the mouth and push my way to the front. Everyone's like, Yeah, sweet. That's like, no biggie. You know, they're just like, Yeah, fair enough. He's bigger and stronger. And that's just kind of how things work here. That's kind of what it looked like yesterday. Looked like, looked like, um, you notice Michael Buffett didn't even get in the ring. He's like, Bro, I'm not getting my $5,000 suit soiled in there. Oh, and how's, um, how's Haney's bodyguard <laughs> he's like that dude's definitely caught some bodies he knows where some bodies are buried but he ain't telling you like, if, if you watch him when Haney's being interviewed he's doing this soft focus thing with his eyes where he's doing this constant uh, they call it security an arc of responsibility so he's like assessing all the all the risks but constantly moving his head from side to side with soft focus but trying to zero in on things that look suspicious man <laughs> the dude was like a stone cold killer he was wearing a beanie too if you want to go back and watch that it's good for a little laugh I want to laugh at him um, what else was there of note in that fight there's some fun uh, on the on the card there's some fun little things um, I really like the Ni- uh, Nikita I think his name was from New Zealand Nikita. he came out in the Bob outfit the Star Wars outfit he looked awesome um I like he, he another great defensive boxer, not as sound uh in his defences yet, but I think he only have five fights. But man, for a go of five fights, holy shit. They said he was a Commonwealth Games maybe or Olympic bronze medalist, but maybe Commonwealth Games sounds more apt, but he was shoulder rolling a lot and then countering with his cross. I love that. It was really pretty and as the as the fight got going he actually started switching to Southpaw but not necessarily uh, to strike from south pole. he was just kind of trying to keep his men in front of him. And he was really good, we call it neutral stance in our MMA uh, classes. So the ability to strike uh, from both stances, but not having to switch your feet. So as someone kind of moves laterally in front of you, you can catch them either with your cross or as they keep traveling around to your rear side, that your what was your rear side with a small adjustment becomes your lead side neutral stance and that Nikita was doing that beautifully and shoulder rolling from both. It was really cool. And uh, what else was there? Oh yeah bit the house on um on Far from New Zealand and Eugene Barriman in the corner, you know, the City Kickboxing um, Sensei. Wearing a pair of jandals cheer the Bro. And um yeah Junior Far who's like supposed to be the next best thing I think he's 18 and 1 so 18 and 1 something like that got in there against Lucas Brown Lucas Brown paid $52 for a knockout if you don't mind and um, in the first round I think and uh, just sent him to a shadow round 45 year old Lucas Brown and this is Lucas Brown who just lost recently to Paul Gallon who's a rugby another old ass rugby league player yeah. so boxing was exciting a lot of knockouts that oh, not a, a lot of finishes in that one. There was another fight that was getting really fun between a Northern New Zealander guy, I can't remember his name now, and um and uh a guy from Cameroon. The guy from that fight was looking heaps of fun. And I saw the guy from Cameroon, shit I can't remember his name, but he fought Justice Hooney in his last fight, and unfortunately uh injured his elbow. That was a bit of a bummer. Something else that was interesting about to cut, you know, this was done by Top Rank, Top Rank Ponxy, you know, one of the most yeah, they're just they're, the old guy Bob oh, was it Bob Amara? I can't remember his name but he's like one of the oldest boxing promoters the most established guys getting around so it's pretty cool to have top rank there like in New in Australia giving these guys a massive platform back in America it's a really big moment and um, one of the things that I saw on there they had swinger fights on the card and swinger fight isn't when you know two guys and um, they're uh polygamist um uh you know partners coming and they just put the car keys in the bowl, have a bit of fondue and get it on not one of those it's like a um they have a fight that can bounce up and down the card depending on you know the amount of finishes the broadcast time and stuff like that so it was pretty cool i'm not sure if many people knew that but you know andrew so andrew maloney james maloney one of the Brothers fought after the main event, and that's a big fight. Like he's, he's no joke. Like he's fought some really good dudes, and um, I think he's even had a world title. I get the brothers mixed up, but he's really good. And then they had the um, pretty guy, the the model who fought a wild fighter. Shit, what's his name? Lucky Luke. He was a swinger fight because I saw a war, uh, my boy Don Concha. Um, he's being managed by Wildfighter Fighter, I think, and promoted by Wildfighter Fighter this guy lucky and um he had that crazy fight with Jay Daly on um the last wild fighter that the slender man and Mark Robinson fought on and I saw him wrapped up ready to go like before the first fight for early prelims and I was waiting for him I was like oh this guy no matter what happens this will be fun and um then it got to the main event I was like oh shit they haven't had him yet and apparently fought afterwards I turned the tally off anyway that's pretty cool but oh well Mate, I hope you're bloody well. Hope you're just enjoying your Monday and um you know the week's looking good. Weeks looking it's good things in store. I know it's pretty chilly at the moment, but stop being a big baby and get down to the gym. You know, if young Griffo could get down to the get have hundred and seventy fights in five years, drunk, and a little bit of cold, why is that gonna stop you? So my message for this week was and the wise words of Big Willy, aka Whitewater Willie, is realise your potential. Don't don't allow your uh, your future to be a willow the wisp. Find out where the ceiling is, have a crack, and it starts this evening by getting your butts down to the bones MMA. Thirty-six slash ten cylinders while talky. Come down, put on some socks, stop being a big baby. We'll have a little bit of fisty cuffs. Alright. Good on you love you.